Hallelujah. Good morning. I'd like us to um, open our Bibles to um, Colossians chapter 1. And verse 9, it says, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us or qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of all sins. So this is the prayer we're going to pray into today. This is one of um, the inspired prayers that the Holy Spirit um, gave the Apostle Paul for the church. You know, it is said that um, the epistles are God's um, letter to the church. This is God speaking to us um, about what he has done for us in Christ through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, um, I think it was Mark Hankins that said that the, um, uh, the gospels are like a picture and the epistles are like an x-ray. You know, the x-ray shows you what's going on inside. It shows you the implications of what is actually happening. So we're going to pray this prayer together, and then we're going to pray into it in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's just begin to bless God and thank Him for His presence. Let's begin to thank Him that in Him we live and move and have our being. Hallelujah. Lord, we give you thanks this morning. We give you thanks, Lord, because this is the day that you have made, and therefore we rejoice and are glad in it. We give you thanks that we are established in you. We give you thanks that we have access through the redemptive work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have access to everything that you have planned for us. We give you thanks, O oh God, because it's in you that we live and move and have our being. Hallelujah. Let us just pray this prayer together. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you. For I, though I was far away, you have drawn me close through Jesus Christ. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask that you give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in your knowledge. I pray, O oh God, that the eyes of my imagination, the eyes of my heart, the eyes of my spirit will be flooded with light. That I may see what is the hope of your calling. That I may read the book that you have written concerning me. That I may come into an intimate understanding of your dream concerning my life. Holy Father, I ask 
that through the operation of the Holy Spirit that I will come into an understanding of the glorious inheritance that you have made available to me in Christ. I ask Heavenly Father through your boundless love for me that I come into an intimate understanding of your power that is at work within me. The same power that you revealed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That I will understand this power. I will understand how to use this power to the glory of your name. Holy Father, I pray that I'll be strengthened with might through my, your spirit in my inner man. That Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. That the anointed one, his anointing, will be expressed in my life. That I will come to comprehend the depth, the width, the height, the length of the love of Christ. That love that is in me. That love that is expressing itself through me. That love that is beyond human understanding. I will come to understand that which the human mind cannot understand. And as a result, I will begin to express God in all dimensions. Heavenly Father, I pray that I'll be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that I may work worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and that I'll be strengthened with might According to your glorious power, unto all joyfulness, O God, and strength, O God, that I will truly please you in all that I do. Oh, thank you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. Lord, we give you thanks. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. We give you thanks in this place. Oh, blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Well, you're all uh, very welcome to our fourth session of our five-part series on um, an intensive study of the subject of faith. But you know, before I get into the subject for today, uh, I just want to read a verse to you in Jeremiah 29, 13. Um, the Message Bible of Jeremiah 29, 13 says, When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. You know, I believe that we're living in a, a season of restoration. And 
the image of God that God created when he made man is actually being restored. And we already have that restoration in Christ, but our experience of it is going to be restored. But a strong desire and focus and hunger is a key to unlocking that which belongs to you. You know, in Proverbs 25 verse 2, the Bible says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the honor of kings to search it out. When you read um, Exodus 3, you see a scenario where there was a bush burning and it wasn't consumed. And then Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is burning and not consumed. And the Bible says that when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside, then the Lord began to speak. There's a turning aside that is required for there to be an unlocking of that which God has already prepared for us in this time. And that turning aside is, um, is going to be demonstrated by focus and desire. Yeah, That which we honor will start opening up to us. That which we focus on will start opening up to us. Hallelujah. So it is important that we understand the process. That we understand the process. Um, when we invest in the spirit, the realm of the spirit will, will manifest itself to you. Yeah? So... It is now down to your investment level. Your investment level. When you invest in the spirit, uh, the world of the spirit will manifest to you. Amen. You will notice that, um, and we talked about this last week, but you'll notice that when Adam was created in the image of God, the very first person he saw was who? It was God, wasn't it? Um... Because he came from God and his eyes were open to God. So he saw, he saw the realm of the spirit, did he not? God is a spirit. Um, so Adam was open to the spiritual realm and his, his eyes were open. His spiritual eyes were open, his spiritual ears were open. Yeah. So if we want to understand God's desire for the original creation, we should go to Adam, should we not? Yeah. So even though he could see in the physical realm, he could actually see in the spirit, um, he had 20-20 vision. Yeah? Um, and uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but even after the fall, you would see that when Cain sinned and the, and the father came to Cain and spoke to him, you know, when he was um, grumbling about his brother, when the Lord asked him, you know, um, you know when the Lord refused or didn't accept his sacrifice, and the Lord said to him that, you know, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. He was not surprised that he saw God, was he? Yeah? And over time, even after they fell, it seemed as though the, the longer the time between the fall and that particular time, the more strange it was to see into the realm of the Spirit. Let me put it a different way. You know, um, in, in, um, in Genesis... Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day 
that you eat of it, you will what? You will surely, in case you weren't sure, uh, let me make it categorical for you. You, are, you will surely die in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Now, you will notice that when they ate of the fruit, I don't know why everyone calls it the apple, <laughs> but when they ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they still kept living after that. In fact, Adam lived for about 900 and something years. But God said that in the day you eat it, you will surely die. You'll see, though, that he lived for 900 and something years, but the farther away you move from Adam, the less time people lived for. Yeah? So it seemed like the farther away they moved from the source of life, the shorter their lifespan. Now, when the Lord said, in the day you eat it, you'll surely die, uh, in the literal Hebrew, it actually says that in dying, you will die. When we talk about death, just like we defined life a few weeks ago, there are several Greek words. I think we talked about three, but there are actually four or five Greek words that talk about life. When we talk about death, we need to understand what death means, and we need to understand the different kinds of death. Death actually doesn't mean to cease to exist. Okay? The word death literally means a separation. A separation. A separation. So there are three kinds of death that we see in the Bible. There is physical death, which is just a separation between the spiritual part of you and the physical part. You know that man is tripartite. First um, Thessalonians 5.23, the very God of peace sanctify you completely. I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be, be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So within you, or you are a three-part being. There's a spiritual side and a physical side. Your physical side is the physical body. The spiritual side is the spirit and the soul. Okay? wouldn't define that because we've already done that in previous sessions. Now, man was created to be in union with God. And that's why after the restoration in 1 Corinthians 6, 17, it says that he that is joined to the Lord is what? One spirit with him. Man was created to enjoy union with Almighty God. When they ate of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, immediately they were, they died spiritually. There was a separation of their spirit from the spirit of God. All right? Now, it's not accurate to say that their, well, their spirit did not cease to exist. Yeah? You are a spiritual being. Your spirit, everyone has a spirit, whether they are born again or not. So their spirit did not cease to exist, but their spirit died. It was separated from the life of God. All right? It was separated from the life of God. Separated from the presence of God. But you see, your spirit has capability. Even 
without the life of God, your spirit actually exists. And your spirit functions because if your spirit didn't exist, you wouldn't be here because you're a spirit being. Yeah? And only born again people will be alive. Okay? So as a spirit, your spirit exists. But when Adam died, his spirit was separated from the spirit of God. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, your spirit has capabilities. Your spirit has eyes to see. Your spirit has ears to hear. In fact, the five physical senses of your body um, are, should I say, a mirror of the senses of your spiritual man. And that is why this shirt I'm wearing, or I don't know if you can call it a shirt, actually takes the form of my physical body, does it not? Okay? So the fact that this top has sleeves is evidence of the fact that I have arms. Because if I didn't have arms, there would be no point of having sleeves. Okay? So the physical body and the senses of the physical body um, actually mirror the senses of the spiritual man. Yeah? And I'm, we're not going into this exhaustively with scripture, but maybe I should give that to you as an assignment to give me all the scriptural references that prove this. Okay? Actually, yes, I agree. That is an assignment. So, your, 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 your physical body actually mirrors the senses of the spiritual man. Okay? So your spiritual man has the ability to see. Your spiritual man has the ability to hear. Your spiritual man has the ability to function like God. So when Adam woke up and he saw God, it was a normal operation. Are you with me? But when he died, when he was separated from the life of God, you would see that just like with physical death, in terms of the length of time between, you know, to death, seems to diminish over time. It's like the further away we go from life, even though we're cut off from life, but there was still residual, you know, residual, um, the impact of the life we had in our body sustained our body. You know, your physical body is not created to die. In fact, scientists will tell you that every seven years or so, every cell of your body is replaced is regenerated every cell yeah which means every organ everything in your body is replaced but the only thing is that with each replacement there's a, a flaw it's like and that's what we call aging okay so over time as the cells get replaced they get older and older and that's why we die but originally when we're in union with god our cells were rep replaced every seven years and they were 100%. So we were, we were created to live forever. Okay? But just like in the physical, it seemed like the farther away we moved from that incident of death, the more strange spiritual things became to us. Our eyes started getting dull. And after a while, people started thinking that if you saw God, you will die. You understand? Meanwhile, we were created to see him and to commune with him. But in this time of restoration, as we've been restored in Christ, 
all those spiritual senses have been restored and we have access to them again. Hallelujah. Yeah, we have access to them again. But it is through focus, desire, and honoring that truth that these things will start opening up to us. Hallelujah. But the point I also wanted to make, since we're on this, is the fact that your spirit has the capacity to function spiritually. Yeah? And that's why in the um, account of the Tower of Babel, let us look at that real quick. And this will answer a question that was asked, um, I think, in the first session. Okay, let us go to Genesis 11. All right, let's start from verse 1. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. Uh, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the power which the sons of men, or, or the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have one language. And all that they, be, uh, and, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So even after the fall, we see that man learned how to harness spiritual power because what the Lord said here was that they have discovered certain things about their way, I mean, their, um, their capability, and nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now, you know, the Tower of Babel wasn't just like a skyscraper. Let us just build, you know, a tall building. You know, the first multi-story building ever built. They said we are going, they conceived in their hearts to build something that would, as it were, uh, it was almost like a, um, a way of, of uh, refuting the supremacy of God. And they were going to build something that will go high into the heavens. They were going to harness spiritual power and establish a, a spiritual center of wickedness. But the Lord said that nothing they proposed to do. You know, man was created to be a creative being like God. Are you with me? Okay. And as a spiritual being, you are created to be able to access the realm of the spirit and use spiritual power to bring things to pass in the realm of the physical. Now, even a spirit that is not in union with God still has the capacity because you are, I mean, to operate spiritually. All right? And you'll see that people that dabble into the occult don't say that they don't have eyes to see because they can see. Don't say that they don't have ears to hear because they can hear. Those functions 
are normal functions of a spiritual being, which you are. However, the difference between a spirit that is not in union with God and a spirit that is in union with God is that, of course, a spirit in union with God is in union with God. What does that mean? That means that you have the privilege and the opportunity to eat of the tree of life. You know, there are two trees in the garden. There were a lot of trees, but there are two key trees in the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which speaks about the tree of self and the tree of life. A spirit in union with God will have the privilege of being able to see as God sees, being able to hear as God hears, and being able to have the heart of the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, this, the difference between a spirit in union with God and one that isn't is not the ability to create. Yeah? A spirit that is not in union with God can still create. Because we see that in the, um, in the account of the Tower of Babel. But a spirit that is in union with God has the ability to see the, the, has the ability to see the heart of God, has the ability to see as God sees, and therefore to produce in the earth that which God intends to be produced in the earth. And that was why we looked at Isaiah 51 verse 16 last week. Okay? So let us start with Isaiah 51 verse 16 and then we'll go into our into the session for today. Because we're talking about faith. We're talking about faith. Isaiah 51 verse 16 it says, "And I have put my words in your mouth." And I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. So I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand in order that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth okay so the reason why um, Adam was meant to walk in union with God and replicate in the earth that which he has purposed in the heavens using the capability for spiritual access that God had given humanity to access the plan of God um, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven and produce in the earth that which God had Ordained. So it's accessing the realm of life, seeing as God sees. Those that were Nimrod and his guys that were created the Tower of Babel were using spiritual power to access the realm of death, a realm outside of the life of God, to make a name for themselves. Yeah? Do you see the difference? They could still harness spiritual power, but it was about themselves. Okay? Now, somebody who goes to church and reads the Bible can still use spiritual power um, to create things that God has not ordained for their lives. So just because it is created doesn't mean it is of God. Remember what James says, um, you have not because you ask not, 
you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it on your own lusts. You are not going to be able to access the realm of life to do things that are just self-serving. Are you with me? Um, but people are, are still using spiritual power um, and harnessing the power of their spirit to create things that God doesn't want them to have. And as a Christian, that is something that we need to be careful of. And we'll, we will talk about that a little bit. All right? All right, so that was an introduction. We're going to go straight into this. Okay, so we've been talking about faith. And um, we've been talking about faith, and um, we've established certain things. One of the things we've established is that faith is of the heart. It is not of the mind, it is of the heart. Faith is the product of um, the recreated human spirit. It's not a mind position. It is not positive confession. It is not having a good attitude. It's much more than that. It is a spiritual force. Number two, we've established that faith is the force that accesses everything that God has given to us by grace. Okay, we established that. We'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. And then we said faith is real seeing. Faith is real seeing. Romans 4 verse 17, talking about Abraham, says that, um, speaking about God, God calls those things which be not as though they, they were. But when we looked at it, we said it is only from the perspective of time that it sounds like God is calling those things which be not as those they were. But from the perspective of God, God was actually calling those things that are as those they, though they are. Because he had made Abraham the father of many nations. And when Abraham came into alignment with what God saw, um, he began to call things that are as though they were, uh, that they are, because he began to call himself Abraham, the father of many nations, okay? So we said faith is insight or it is real seeing. It is real seeing. It is real seeing. That means that if we're going to operate by the faith of God, our hearts must embrace true reality. True reality. I'd like somebody to read uh, Colossians chapter 3, uh, verses 1 and 2. Somebody with a real loud voice. Colossians 3, 1. Yeah. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay. If or since you've been raised up with Christ, set your affection on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. So he's saying that you need to embrace true reality. Yeah? You need to embrace true reality. I'd like somebody else to read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. We're talking about the faith of God. Faith requires, it's, tr it's real seeing. It's real seeing. It's real seeing. So that means that you can't walk by faith if you don't really see. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 16 to 18, 2 Corinthians 4. Yes. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Yes. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen 
are eternal. Okay, so it's talking about sight, isn't it? It's talking about sight. Adam saw both realms. He saw the true reality. Paul, in, to the Colossians, he said, set your affection on things that are above. It is what you set your heart on. If you are setting your affection on, on true reality, faith will rise and you'll be able to connect with it. Are you with me? To the Corinthians, he says, the things that are seen are temporary. In fact, I'm going to read those two passages from my new favorite version, which is, I have two new favorite versions. One is the Passion Translation and the other one is the Mirror Translation. Now, listen to Colossians 3, 1 and 2 from the Mirror Translation. It says, see yourselves co-raised with Christ. Now ponder with persuasion the consequence of your co-inclusion in him. Relocate yourselves mentally. Engage your thoughts with throne room realities where you are co-seated with Christ in the executive authority of God's right hand, becoming affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts will keep you from being distracted again by the earthly soul-ruled realm. You see, your heart is focusing on something. It's either focusing on temporary things or, or true reality. It says that if the only way your heart will not be distracted by the earthly realm is if you become affectionately acquainted with throne room thoughts and engaging your thoughts with throne room realities. Hallelujah. If we are going to operate by the faith of God, our hearts must be occupied with throne room realities. Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, verse 16 to 18. I'm going to read it from the Mirror Bible. It says, we have reason to be brave. We have reason to be brave. There might be a lot of wear and tear on the outside, but don't be distracted by that. On the inside, we are celebrating... We are celebrating daily revival. Listen to this. It says we are fully engaged in an exceedingly superior reality. The extent and weight of this glory makes any degree of suffering vanish into insignificance. The suffering is fleeting and ever so slight by comparison to the weight and enduring effect of this glory we participate in for all eternity. We are not keeping any score of what seems so obvious to the senses on the surface. It is fleeting and irrelevant. It is the unseen eternal realm within us which has our full attention and captivates our gaze. We see a consistent picture on the fact that our hearts must be focused on reality. Because your ability to operate by faith is determined by what you see. Your ability to operate by faith 
is determined by the reality you see. You remember the story of Elisha and the Syrian um, army? His servant wakes up in the morning, looks out, and he sees the enemy surrounding, surrounding them. And he wakes up his master and says, Master, we're in trouble. The Syrian army are here to destroy us. And Elisha got up, looked, and he said to his servant, those that are for us are more than those that are for them. That was a statement of faith. Those that are for us are more than those that are for them. And then his servant looked and thought, how in the world, you, me, and the whole, I mean, this, these guys were round about them because this was a major strategic thing because it was like the, 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 uh, the result of the war was going to be determined by this because what was happening was Elisha was revealing the secrets of the king to, um, the secrets of the king of Syria to the king of Israel. Yeah, so the king wanted to, you know, destroy his life. So this was a major, major deal. And he knew he was dealing with because he knew that this was a man with the spirit of God. But Elisha prayed and said, God, open the eyes of my servant that he may see. Yeah? Open the eyes. And when his servant saw, his servant said, ah, we have, there are more for us than against us. So the servant was able to operate by faith because he what? He saw. He saw. Faith is actually true sight. It's insight. It's insight. You cannot make yourself have faith. You cannot make yourself have faith. Faith is the product or the result of true sight. Faith is the product and result of true sight. True sight. Now we know that the just shall live by faith and we know that everything we access of the kingdom of God, we can only access by faith. That means that we must have true sight before we can access anything. Does that make sense? And that's why over and over again, Paul says, I'm praying that your, your heart will be embraced with throne room reality. With throne room what? Reality. So faith is founded on true sight. When you truly see, faith will be there. Yeah? If you are struggling with faith, about uh, struggling about a matter with faith, all you need to do is go on a path to truly see. Because once you see, faith is there. Once you see, faith is there. So I want us to have a discussion. And this discussion is going to be based on the book of Luke, chapter 1. I wouldn't go through it in detail because we read the story last week. And this story really um, encapsulates the experience that Mary had when Gabriel came to speak to her. You know the story, you hear it every Christmas, and you may read it every Christmas. I'm sure you read it other times of the year as well. Now, my question is this. Why did Gabriel visit Mary. I guess to inform her, to let her know what's going on, what will happen through her. 
Okay, and what was going to happen to her? Through her, um, she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Oh, she knows the story. <laughs> okay, she's going to give birth to the Messiah. Okay, now, the follow-up question. Why was that visit necessary? Why was that visit necessary? Let us go back to the story. Verse 28 says, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, verse 29, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for, I, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, you bring forth a son, and shall, and shall, uh, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be, the son, will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said, How can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is, born, who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month of her who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. So why was this visit necessary? Was it necessary and why was it necessary? Why didn't it just happen? Why did she need to be informed is the question I'm asking. Answer the question in the light of your understanding of kingdom currency. Now, last week we examined the fact that to operate in the kingdom of God, there is what we call kingdom currency. For you to be able to transact anything in God's kingdom, you need to use kingdom currency right? And I use the example of a coin. A coin has different parts to it. And kingdom currency is made up of certain parts. What are the parts of kingdom currency? Give it to me in, um, in priority order. So we have, um, for those who are here for the first time, this is like a coin. I was asking my son for some money this week and um, I needed like 500 naira. So he said um, he had like 450. And then he said, I have some coins. I was like, coins? You have coins? He said, yes, I have some cobble. I was like, really? Because I've not seen cobble in a few years. Has anyone seen cobble recently? I have not. So I wondered how he got cobble. But anyway, so, so imagine that this is a coin. Now, a coin has different parts to it. He has the front. He has the back. He has the, he has the side. And then it's made up of some kind of metal, right? So for it to be legal tender, he has to have all those parts. Yeah? If one part is shaved off, you shouldn't accept the coin because it's not legal tender, right? So in the kingdom, we also have kingdom currency. Now, what are the parts to kingdom currency? The first part, the most important part is what? Grace. The second part is what? Faith. What brings them together? The Holy Spirit. And what is the currency made of? Love. Okay? Now, this is not just being cute, even though it's quite a nice illustration. This is actually the truth. Yeah, the kingdom of currency, every time there's a kingdom transaction, you see all these ingredients. And it always begins with grace. Yeah? Um, what is grace? Who can define grace for me? Grace is God's power. I like the word power because every time grace is in operation, there is tangible power. Okay? Grace is the willingness of God to use his power on our behalf to meet our need and to achieve his purpose. And this power is made available freely. So God always moves first. 
God always moves what? First. Yeah? It wasn't your, your faith that sent Jesus to the cross. It was the love of the Father that sent Jesus to the cross. Yeah? God always moves what? First. Always moves first. Okay? To access grace, we must respond by faith. And what is the verse that tells us about that? Romans? Romans 5.2 says, by faith we have access into grace. So faith is what allows us to access grace. So grace always happens first. Grace always happens first. What God has done, what God has provided. God always moves first. If God hasn't moved, you can't do anything. Yeah? Faith is needed to access what? Grace. Now, once faith is in operation, then everything else in the kingdom can work. The Holy Spirit will now, can now bring faith into grace. Are you, are you with me? Okay, good. And everything has to be done in love. Yeah? That is kingdom transaction. So, whenever you have a perceived need, the first question you must ask yourself is, what has grace provided? Because we learned last week that grace has already done something. It has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. These are realities. Yeah? We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. These are realities. But where are they? In which is the place that the guy said we should go and focus on and understand what they are. Yeah? Because faith cannot come until you really see. Yeah? It cannot come until... You might have a need, but faith cannot come until you really see. Until you really see. Until you really see. Until you really, so the first question before prayer, the first question before prayer, your only prayer has to be this prayer. Lord, show me what grace has provided. That's the only prayer you can pray. If you want to transact in the kingdom. Now, with your understanding of kingdom currency, explain to me why this visit by Gabriel was necessary. It's not a one word explanation. Huh? <laughs> using one word. You didn't say using one word though. Excellent. <laughs> well, okay. In the, in the context of the Christian currency model, Kingdom, um, kingdom. Sorry, kingdom currency model. Gabriel had to bring the word of God to her for her to know that she is favored. And she also had to have faith in that word because we, we see that when, when he first brought the message, she asked, how will this thing be? But then he now assured her that, listen, I am, I am bringing the word of God to you. And that gave her that assurance and that gave her the faith to believe in that word. Okay. In fact, if I had a golden buzzer, I'd have, you'd have gone straight into the final round. Now, looking at that passage, looking at that passage, I want us to examine the, I want us to dissect that passage from the perspective of the kingdom currency. So, what is the statement that speaks about grace in that passage we read? So I want you to read that passage 
or read the verse that speaks about grace. It says you have found grace. Other translations say you are highly favored. The word favored is the Greek word charis, which is grace. Grace, it says, Mary, grace has been released to you. Grace has been what? In other words, grace has moved on your behalf. Mary, grace has moved on your behalf. Yeah? The power of God has been released on your behalf. Mary needed to see that before she could connect with it. Yeah? The power has been released on your behalf. Really? Remember, this was not a desire that Mary had. It was not a thought that she had. It hadn't entered into the heart of Mary. They had taught her from a young child that the Messiah was going to come. It was not her desire. We're going to talk about desire in a minute. But before God could do within her life what he had ordained before the foundation of the world, she had to see it. She had to see it. Because the only way we access grace is by faith. Faith had to be there. And faith is a spiritual substance that allows you to access the reality of things in the realm of the spirit. Faith had to be there. So she asked the question, how is this going to happen? And what did he say? For this to happen, something has to happen. What? The Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is going to get involved, but why hasn't the Holy Spirit done anything yet? You have to see first, and faith must be active. The Holy Spirit cannot move. We're talking about the kingdom. The whole kingdom, we live life. We access the life of God through faith. Yeah? The life is provided by grace. The Spirit is hovering on the waters. Yeah? But... Your life only gives permission to the operation of the Holy Spirit when in the realm of the Spirit there is, a, there is a vibration coming from your inner man that is connecting with God's grace. It opens the door to the operation of God on your behalf. He said the Holy Spirit is going to make it happen. Don't worry about that. I am Gabriel. I am an angelus. I am a messenger. I am a carrier of the word of grace. Yeah, And then Mary said something. What did Mary say? Yes, after that, and when he said the Holy Spirit, Mary now said, let it be done to me according to your word. Let it be done. The, the, the Passion Translation says, I accept. I what? I accept. She had seen something. Yeah, she had seen something. She had seen the reality. Yeah, she saw it. And faith came and she said, I accept. So in other words, she's saying, I, I receive that which I have seen to be my destiny. And when she accepted, then the Holy Spirit went into operation. Does that make sense? 
So the Holy Spirit, through faith, brought her into grace. All the modalities of the house, you know, and what he needed, all that stuff was done by the Holy Spirit, was it not? And we see, when you read the Matthew's translation, or Matthew's account of it, in, uh, I believe it was Matthew chapter 2, or Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, you see that when, after she had this, in, um, this um, you know, epiphany or revelation, she went to Joseph and said to Joseph she was with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph was not buying it. Okay, like any, any natural person, right? And he had decided he was going to put her away quietly. So this was not a, you know, this was a deal breaker, right? He's going to put her away quietly. And then we know what happened. The angel, you know, the Lord revealed to him in the dream that this was his and, and um, or this was, you know, of the Lord. And he, he got married to her, didn't sleep with her for nine months and, you know, until she had the baby and then they had other children. Yeah. So we see the, because I don't know about you, but if, if. I was accused of infidelity by something that the Lord did. It might be hard for me to forgive you in a long time. Okay, maybe you're not like me, but anyway, you know. But but I, I, in in Mary's behavior, we we don't see someone who was fussing with Joseph. You know, we don't see a criminal. We see a heart that was submitted to God in love and decided that you know what, whatever happens, happens. This is what God has said. I'm just going to submit to. The process of God and let God do what I cannot do. So everything that was needed to bring Joseph to alignment, God had to do it. She didn't feel that she had to make it come to pass herself. I guess that's the point I'm making. All right? Because if it is of faith, then it's not going to be of works. Otherwise, faith is not faith. When I say it's not going to be of works, it's not going to be it's not going to be produced by things that you know come out of your own physical might and power. That's why Zechariah was told that it's, you know, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. It is through the operation of the Holy Spirit, through the process of faith. Does that make sense? That does not mean that there are no works of righteousness. There are works that, that demonstrate faith, but it is not a contrived, we're going to make this happen, matter. Because things are going wrong, we think, oh, we have to make it happen. No, it's not like that. It doesn't work like that. All right? So we see that grace always comes first. Faith was, is the required response. You cannot even respond by faith until you see the reality of what grace has provided. So that was why it was necessary for Gabriel to give the message. And that is why it's necessary... For you and I to see the reality. Because without seeing the reality of what grace has provided in every matter, we cannot respond by faith. We cannot respond by faith. So that means that grace is useless without faith. Or put it in a better way, I'll say faith is needed for grace to find expression and fulfillment. Faith is needed... For grace to find expression and fulfillment. We, we, you find out very quickly that a lot of times, especially, well, not just in Christian circles, but in Christian circles, we see use of words that, words used in the wrong, in the wrong way. So, for instance, 
Someone says, oh, I am living by the grace of God. When people say that, what are they typically saying? I, I have a problem. I'm, I'm barely making it. I'm living by the grace of God. When a lot of people say that, you can sense that what they are saying is, I'm just depending on God to come through for me. Yeah? And, you know, what I experience, what I'm going to experience in this situation is going to be up to God and what God decides to do for me. Isn't that, isn't that what, we're, what we're really saying? What, 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 I'm, what the result of this is going to be dependent on what the Lord does for me. I'm just living by the grace of God. I'm waiting on, you know, I'm sort of, you know, waiting on God to do something for me. Yeah, I'm waiting on God to do something for me. So when you dissect that statement, you see that it is really being spoken by a heart that has not seen the reality of what God has done. It's not a criticism. It's just, you know when the Bible says that if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. It's not criticizing. It's just telling you where we're at, that we need to increase our strength, right? So a heart that is, that is, that is seeing that is a heart that um, hasn't really seen the reality of what God has done. Because if you are going to understand grace, grace is always the past tense of God's action on our behalf. Grace is always the past tense of God's action on our behalf. Everything that God has done for us can be traced back to what was accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. Grace is always the past tense of God's action on our behalf. It's always the past tense of God's action on our behalf. Grace always looks back to the cross and what as a result of the cross has been provided. So when grace sees reality, grace always sees the reality of what has been provided. Yeah? When the angel spoke to Mary, she said, you are favored. Grace has been released. So this is what's going to happen to you. Yeah? As you connect with faith. Grace always, grace is the past tense of God's action on our behalf. 